Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Have you ever wondered what makes the difference between good leaders and awesome leaders? Well, perhaps the place to look is Elena Agaragimova's Guide to Awesome Leadership. Today on the podcast, you will learn that the path to awesome leadership is preparation, especially in managing your energy, intention, and empathy, and in reflection, especially in having the courage to ask yourself, what did the other person want and what could you do? to offer that up next time. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Diamond. And on the East Coast, we have our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. How are you this afternoon? Yes, yes, on, on the East Coast, for sure. Afternoon. I'm great, by the way. You're great. Okay, just, just trying to figure this out. And I want to say our guest's name because it's, it's a beautiful name. Today on the podcast, we have Elena Agaragimova. I've really seen it like 13 times in our podcast today. And I would love you, Jenny, yeah. to introduce our guest and tell her why we need to have her on our podcast. Elena started her career in higher education and then dove into business and founded her own learning and development company, a tech solution for productivity and well-being in organizations. Educated in internal relations and higher education, certified coach and trainer, she's written two ebooks: The Rough Guide to Awesome Leadership and Shift. Design Your Own Future. She's a TEDx speaker and writer of blogs and publications in the Forms Middle East and other Arabian business outlets. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Terrific. Well, I have enjoyed speaking to you several times in the past, and I'm delighted that you're going to share the knowledge that you have accumulated and some of the things you're trying to do. We'd like to start with a question, and your perspective will be an interesting one. What have you learned about yourself and the business world from the events over the past two years? It's a great question. And it's a big one because I think that the journey of starting your own business is just impacts you on so many different levels. One thing I've learned is not everyone is going to buy what you're selling, no matter how passionate you think you are. It really comes down to do people actually need your product and how do you find those people and how do you market to them? So that was a hard one because you were so excited and passionate when you're starting off. And then you quickly realize that maybe not everybody is as on board. So that requires you to reinvent the product and almost just like continuously pivot. So that was probably a big one on that professional level. On the personal level, and it's kind of tied in, is that we, we will not always win. And being my own worst critic, that was a hard one. I'm very harsh on myself. And, you know, it's like, I'm always looking for feedback because I'm like, no matter what feedback I get, it's not going to be as bad as the feedback I give myself. So to learn to live that, you know, that you're going to fail probably more often than you'll succeed, especially when you're starting off with little capital with a little kind of network to build up your business. So being okay with dealing with disappointment and managing that disappointment and resetting expectations for yourself, I think is a big one as well. 
and finally, also just really just being able to learn from experience and being open to, again, that feedback from your customers and those your biggest critics as well, because they are the ones that are going to help you to fine tune your product that's actually going to, you know, hopefully add the value that you wanted to add in the mm-hmm. world of work. And I can imagine then that feeds into some of the stuff you've written about with resilience. That seems to be a focus of yours. We'll chat about that. Well, in your guide to awesome leadership, you talk about leadership development and change. What led to you writing that ebook and, and what specifics can you share of how a leader can best navigate a team through change? Sure. So my business partner and I, after working with many corporates around performance and productivity and well-being in a workplace, what we found is a common theme is that a lot of times we try to put a bandaid on a broken leg and that bandaid is let's throw some training at our employees. Let's throw some, you know, some some Fitbits and yoga mats and that's going to be great and everybody's going to be productive. <laughs> it's not that simple. It really comes down to the leadership and the managers. And what we found in our experience is that a lot of the managers that really need that support and who we wrote the book for are the new managers or managers that are kind of growing in their respective roles. So this book is really was written for people who are in new managers and saying, okay, I'm not sure how I got here. I was just doing what I was <laughs> supposed to be doing, I guess. So here I am. And mm-hmm. at the same time, my company is not necessarily providing me the training or resources or mentorship needed for me to be a good manager. And realistically, not all people and organizations are going to have great managers that they can learn from. Let's say you're a manager who's never worked with a remote team and all of a sudden the world flipped upside down and now you have to take everything you know about dealing with people in person and how do you actually transition that in a remote environment and you realize maybe you're not sure how to do that. (laughs) Yeah, in a way you almost become like a new manager. Exactly. So, and it's tough for everybody and we always like our whole thing is like experiment, right? We don't pretend we have the magic formula, but we do have a set of knowledge and kind of skills that are applicable to anybody, any manager in any industry. And it really comes down to those human skills, those human aspects of you as a person and how you can help people in a remote environment. So that's kind of why we wrote the book. And again, from our conversations and kind of seeing what worked and experimenting ourselves as well. We found that certain tactics actually do work. And then and then from there, you can create your own little formula and magic stick, if you want to call it that, that would suit you best for your business, your team, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to talk about that. But I'll pause. Well, yes, that's our next question, of course. What are some of those tactics? Sure. So we start with looking at you as an individual, but then also you as a leader. So it all starts with ourselves, right? Because we are ultimately, as cliche as it sounds, have to lead by example. And so that requires us to reinvent ourselves as, you know, even from our previous conversations that you and I have had is as a leader, how are you taking a moment to reflect and understanding where do you kind of suck at things and where are you Mm -hmm. good at things, right? Mm -hmm. And being very honest with yourself. And ways to do that is one is just simple, just reflections, right? Like where do you feel like you're winning at and where can you improve at? Seeking feedback from colleagues, from your employees as well. And that's a big one because... That's usually our employees are not going to give us that feedback openly. So, you know, that's another reflection point. It's like, do I have good enough relationships with my employees where they can be transparent and direct and open with me? And if you struggle to get that feedback from your employees, the chances are that's your first area of focus is like, I need to rebuild those relationships with my employees, especially in the remote setting. So how do you do that? The one thing that works quite well is really just Again, instead of diving in into, let's say, a meeting when you're having a remote meeting, 
you know, taking five minutes and just to check in with people, right? With your team, with one-on-ones. What we often see happen is in the remote work, when we get into meetings, is we just go straight to the point. No room is left for like checking in with individuals. In person, what you would normally do is you might have like a little small talk, maybe you'll grab a coffee, something, you know, a water, et cetera. So you have a chance to do that small talk and that's where relationships are built. And so you have to recreate that in a remote world. And the way you do it is five minutes before every meeting, whether it's your check-in one-to-one or in your team meeting, you say, listen, you know, what are the highs and lows this week? How is the families doing? What's happening in the world? You know, talk to us a little bit. But starting with you being vulnerable and sharing some of those, and it's not going, to, and if it's the first time you start doing this, it's not like all of a sudden people are going to start sharing and have an amazing five minutes. No, the chances are at first it's going to be awkward and you're probably the only person saying, had a great weekend. Oh my God, my dog ran off or my kid did this. And, you know, I saw this movie, et cetera. But eventually people will pick it up at system. So that's one way. Another thing what we've noticed is that you know, a very outdated way of performance management in general. So, and this was done poorly in person, but this I think has also been lost in the gaps and online as well. And it's that lack of regular check-ins. A lot of companies have these mid and annual reviews. And again, if you're only kind of giving feedback to your team members twice a year, that's a big problem. And it's very difficult to help them be productive. It's very difficult to build those relationships. So depending on the size of your team and this or your managers, whoever is reporting to you, looking at how you can create regular informal check-ins with your team members so that you're giving them continuous feedback. And if you notice what I've been kind of focusing on is building relationships. And that's what it comes down to. Because in a remote work, when you're missing out that in-person body language parts of the interaction and just so many other things and time, essentially... How do you make sure you do that? And you have to have these small interactions on a regular basis. So that's, I'll pause here, but that's just one of the big points that we focus on in the book. You talk a little bit about what's the deal with emotion anyway. Can you share what you mean by that? Yeah. So part of what we wanted to do with this book and make it a little bit light and fun. And so not talk about emotional intelligence necessarily, but just say like realistically, like we all have emotions. What is the deal with those emotions? And why is it such a big area for everybody to work on? When we do assessments on, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence, and, you know, if we look at the five pillars of emotional intelligence as presented by Daniel Goldman, for example, which is empathy, self-awareness, social skills, managing emotions, and motivation. If you look, the, the two lowest scores people usually get Number one is going to be managing emotions. This is like the top, you know, lowest score that people get. And that's because as humans, it's very difficult for us to manage our emotions. And part of that is because we are put in situations we've never been in. So it will trigger certain responses. And oftentimes we don't even recognize ourselves in certain situations, particularly when it comes to conflict. And as a manager, that's basically your job. You're firefighting, you manage a conflict among stakeholders, among your team members, among clients, perhaps in different ways. And conflicts can be good or bad. And it's your ability to manage your emotions as well as going to drive your conflicts to the good or the bad side. And so we kind of make fun of emotions, but in a productive way to sort of say, so it's like really check in with yourself and ask yourself if you feel like you're offended by things at work, if you feel like you're triggered by certain situations, dig deeper. Where's that coming from? And check yourself and recognize where you are, how you're reacting. By not acknowledging where those emotions are coming from, what happens is your management style is going to be impacted. Your decision-making is going to be impacted because, you know, subconsciously we're all biased for or against certain things. And if you don't check in with yourself and be very objective, 
you're going to make wrong decisions a lot of times. Right. And, and right. come off as just a, you know, emotionally unstable leader. And that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make, right? That's good to be vulnerable, but there's certain things that are for better, for worse, are just not necessarily forgivable. So how do you support the new manager who is really going to be faced with emotions that he or she has not really experienced before? is, you know, being responsible now for the person above you, the people below you, the people, you know, on your side. It's a whole new world and that they've just stepped into. How do they go on to become awesome at something they've never experienced before? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we mentioned in the book, and this is something I'm a true believer on a personal level, is you cannot go into managing emotions until you go to your basics. So for the basics we talk about is mind and body. How are you looking at auditing three areas of your life, which is your sleep, your movement, exercise, and potentially what you eat? If you are, and this is not like a health one-on-one or anything like that, this is really just looking at how these three things impact how you perform and how much bandwidth you have to manage the bad things that come in the way during the day. We can all relate. If you didn't sleep very well, if your sleeping habits are a mess, you are not going to be at your best period. And you're going to be much more reactive versus proactive. You're not going to be able to catch those moments of triggers and pause for a second before saying something wrong. If your eating habits are not healthy, so to say, meaning that you're loading up on sugar or too much caffeine, all of that, again, spikes in just the way your energy level on your body fluctuates is going to impact how your brain operates. There's been a lot of science. I'm not a scientist, nor am I a doctor, but if people are interested, there is a lot of research between your gut and mind connection. And another part is really the movement throughout the day. So how much you're moving? I'm not saying go running marathon. I'm just saying walk here and there, right? Doing a little bit of stretching because all of these things is one way to be proactive about when bad things do happen in a day, making sure you're at your best to deal with those things. If all three things here are a mess, so we'll say like audit these three things first because if they're a mess, the chances are you need to start there. And then if all that is in place, then to your point, how do we actually face those things. The reality is you're going to have much more success facing them as those three things are in place. So when you do face them, number one thing to realize is that the chances are the first time you deal with a situation, it's part of it is learning, right? So no matter how proactive you are, there's going to be situations where you just feel uncomfortable and you don't know how to manage it. So one aspect of it is, again, just recognizing things that you need to know about, right? So preparing as much as you can, doing research about for a particular meeting, about a particular person, understanding, for example, if you know you're about to walk into a difficult conversation, be mentally ready that this is going to be a difficult conversation. <laughs> just preparing and being proactive about who am I speaking with? What are they looking to get out of this, right? How can I be empathetic in this conversation? And really looking, empathy is a big thing of what we talk about as well, looking at what does this person truly want out of this conflict, out of this Mm -hmm. task, out of this conversation. Because a lot of times we look at it as people are trying to do something against us or they don't want us in this position, they don't believe we can do a good job. And rarely is it about us. It's just that person has an agenda in mind and you need to be calm and collected enough to understand to be empathetic and ask the right questions, to dig deeper, to understand what that person wants out of that particular situation. And this is what why a lot of conflicts happen is because we take things personally. And instead of just kind of trying to understand that person's point of view, we try to respond and get defensive. And this is where, you know, it goes left. What I'm hearing a lot is awesome leadership is a lot about preparation. So it's about, you know, it's, I get it as a really true foundational level is get your sleep, eat right, and move during the day or, you know, work out if you have that opportunity. 
And then before you do the stuff that you do, you know, set a lot of intention around it. Because I think most people are, ah, it, they're just there you go. reactive to surprises. And I think a lot of that is surprises in themselves that they're just not ready for the surprises. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just one point to add to that as well. You know, when you do an experience, whatever interaction that might not be totally pleasant, I think taking a moment of reflecting and saying, what could I have done better or differently? Because that's how you learn, right? So I think almost just taking an inventory and saying, okay, what went right? What, what could I have done? How can I prevent this from happening in the future? And sometimes you can and sometimes you cannot because each interaction, I mean, we're not gurus in how life works out, right? So every interaction is going to request a different level of you that you have not met yet. And again, I think just by being calm to the best of your ability and listening and being empathetic, you can minimize the risk of that conflict or situation escalating to to the toilet. <laughs> what I have heard similar to what Mitch was saying is, so first you need to be aware. I think a lot of layers, something that the last two years did was shake them up, literally shook them up. To the, they said, whoa, whoa, what, what's really going on here? What does that mean for me? And what have I been doing well? And what do I suck at? Because it's now going to be seen much clearly. It's ironic. They're going to see me less in person, but on Zoom, it's almost like you're this open book. So you have to be mindful of it. But something I love what you said is reflect, learn, and experiment. And that experiment part is a really good one. And I think that's where a coach, a consultant, a buddy that you're working with, a buddy leader, can help because I think a lot of leaders believe, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I should do, Elena. I'm going to go do it today and fall on their face. Hey, that's okay. What did you learn from that? And what insight does that give you for moving forward? Because I know you're alert. the learning aspect is at the heart of a lot of what you do. I picked up on this phrase in the book, and I like it because it's a sentiment for my personality. Don't cry about it. Get your head back in the game. So, you know, how do you get a team? Here's your team and some things aren't going well. How do you get them to rally around that sentiment? Sure. And this is where I think the leader comes in. And I think one of the things that we could do better as companies or just leaders, whether you even have the title or not, is to allow people to fail, to allow people to experiment, to make it okay. So it goes back to that psychological safety part, right? Like, are the people on your team, like, okay with failure? Like, how are they processing that? And that's going to depend on how much you allow that. And I'm not talking about failure that's going to cost your company millions of dollars, of course not. But I mean, like, obviously, that's why you're there to kind of, you know, mitigate that and soften the blow, so to say, kind of, are your people afraid of making mistakes? That's the question to ask. That's first, right? How comfortable they feel with change overall? How are you supporting? What are, you know, structures, tools, resources in place in your organization to help that? I think just allowing collaboration and creativity, which is, again, this is something that's, you know, hard to do virtually to this day still. You have to be really intentional and the people on your team have to be really kind of present when you're doing that virtually, but allowing people to come together and to kind of brainstorm ideas, be creative, 
One thing to also look at is something that I like. There's a couple of companies that do this. Is It depends on how feasible it is, if it's once a week, twice a month, whatever works for you. But looking at sharing wins and fails throughout the week. Yes, I love that. So I think that's fun as well because it, it shows people that, hey, the management is supporting even the fails. And that's okay because innovation, creativity don't happen without failure. It's just part of what it is. So we look at any invention that there is, right? They failed X number of times before they actually succeeded. So I think that by implementing these things, by living by this example, you allow people to feel more comfortable with change and more resilient. That like yes. That's where it's at. And again, it's looking at it as not as we failed, but what did we learn from this? I love that. That is great. How do we move forward? And again, I think also allowing people to come up with solutions. What I see often happen in organizations is if there's a problem that needs to be solved, the manager tells you how to solve that problem. But what if we just get people in the room, whether it's a virtual room on person and say, you know, this is where it's at. And I would love for you guys to come up with ideas. And for you as a manager, you also have to remember, and this is hard to do, to remember when do you push for something and when do you allow that? How much time do you allow for that creativity? And that depends on the problem you're solving. Mm-hmm. But And another caveat here is that are you a company or leader that is firefighting and being reactive or are you proactive? Because if you're always just reacting and firefighting, it's very difficult to create space for that creativity and brainstorming and to allow failure to happen because you're just at a point where you need a solution, a solid one. So again, looking at how can you be proactive about things that might be coming your way as a company to allow space for that because it does need space for that. And if you're... It has to be discussable. And then when you do that, you're allowing them, you're actually teaching the team, we problem solve. This happened. Okay, now what do we do? Really getting to now, what do we do as quickly as possible? And we can go down the list of other similar things. <laughs> you have in the, your second ebook on shift some lovely acronyms that help get to people applying some good behaviors. One of them is Tada. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. We'll go with Tada because I kind of like that. I like your pronunciation. <laughs> That's my interpretation of it. <laughs> yeah, and as long as you remember what it is. So basically, it stands for transparency, empathy, diversity, and amplifying. So, and here we really talk about transparency from the leadership perspectives. One of the things that we always see in companies that have high psychological safety within their teams is because people know what's going on. When your people are uncertain about what's happening with the company, am I being laid off? Am I not being left? What's going on? What are we doing? Is there going to be work tomorrow? Is there going to be business a month from now? When people face uncertainty, it becomes very difficult to perform because that impacts their mental well-being and other areas that we're all very much aware of. Think of yourself when you face uncertainty. How does that feel? So being transparent, being very transparent about where your business is, where you're headed, how each individual person contributes to that growth. So that everybody, no matter how small their contribution is, understands the bigger impact they are doing on, they're making on the actual business. Yes, that's an important one. That's very important because a lot of times if you look at the kind of, let's say your junior staff or up to your mid-level staff, oftentimes they're not aware of how they're contributing to the overall vision. There's so much bureaucracy and little steps that exist in a company that it doesn't allow for that transparent flow of information. And of course, in an ideal world, the manager should be communicating that. But then it goes back to the issue, our managers actually knowing how to be managers and people, mm-hmm. leaders, et cetera, right? So it's like a vicious cycle of 
it's all connected. It's not a one thing or another. So I think just transparency is very important, making sure people understand where your business is headed and what's going on. Empathy. This word is spoke a little bit about that, but really just, again, being vulnerable with your team, being empathetic and meeting them where they are. I don't care what your title is. I don't care how much money you're making. I don't care, you know, where your team is at. Being empathetic and treating them one-on-one, giving that time is essential as a leader as well. That's the basic of it all, right? Another one is diversity. And here we really just talk about really just being mindful of, are we really having the best ideas put forward? And what I mean by that, there's a really good saying, forget who said it, but they said, if you want things to get done really fast, hire people that come from the same background, same culture, speak the same language, have the same understanding of how the world of work works. If you want them done right now, if you want your team to be creative, you have to bring people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different upbringings, et cetera, because that's what drives creativity. So having that diversified opinion from different sides is very important in times of change in general. If everybody thinks the same, they're going to solve problems the same way. And that's not always great for business. And finally, the last part here is amplifying. And here we really talk about creativity. And this I've already mentioned a little bit is creating space for people to brainstorm, creating space for people to come up with their own solutions that could be great for your business. Because a lot of times you have people that might be introverted and they might not be speaking up and raising their hands, especially in a remote environment, but they might have the best idea there is. Creating space for those individuals to be able to speak up and different activities. And of course, there's different ways to do that. That's very, very important. I want to end with a question. You've also spoken about and written a lot about careers and how to navigate. And what advice do you give both leaders and teams in these times of virtual and hybrid? So being curious is number one. So curious in terms of where is my job headed? two years from now, three years, five years from now, what's going to be impacting my job. This really goes to maintaining relevance in the market, right? Being realistic, being objective. So curiosity is a big part. Being courageous, courageous meaning, do you need to make a change? Do you see that there's a dead end for your particular career because of various factors? Do you see that you're not getting the joy and it's draining you and you're just not in the right space of mind to even pursue this career because it's just, it's impacting you? So being courageous enough to be honest with yourself and knowing when to make a change. Right. And the final part is really being a continuous learner. And it just really goes back to, you know, how do I need to upskill myself, reskill myself? What do I need to unlearn, relearn? Like what is out there that you need to learn about essentially? And that goes back to if you're curious enough to see what's coming ahead, if you do need to make a change, how do you learn to do that? And what skills you need to learn to do that? I think that even if you force yourself to sit down and, as you said, on one side of the page, put, well, given where I see myself now and I'm going into work two days a week or whatever, what do I have to unlearn? And then on the opposite you know, side, what do I need to learn? And in a way, this whole COVID social experiment perhaps has put a fire under a lot of people to put themselves in that space of curiosity because the whole thing about change, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? And we're changing this and we're changing that. Now become a leader of that change for yourself is a great way to look at it. I picked that up in your writing and I loved it. This was wonderful. How can people reach you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. LinkedIn, Elena Agregimova on LinkedIn. All my links, everything is there. 
simple. Yes. And links, as you said, to your two ebooks and some of the other great advice and videos that you have. That's wonderful. Mitch? Are you the only one on LinkedIn? Is that why it's so simple? Yeah. Yeah, it's so simple as long as you know how to spell E-L-E-N-A-A-G-A-R-A-G-I-M-O-V-A. I hope you read that down while you're driving. I got a Gimova. We love that name. I've really been moved by this podcast because what you've really pointed out that awesome leadership has a lot of front-loading and let's say back-loading. The front-loading has a lot to do with, you know, just are you managing your energy you know, kind of like, don't get into the game unless you really want to be in the game. And to do that, you got to sleep, you got to eat, you got to take care of your body. You have to set a lot of intention on what it is you're doing here. You know, a lot of preparation before you can get to that meeting. And then on the back end is really, do you have the courage to reflect? Can you be curious? Can you be honest with yourself, honest with the people that you're with? And can you, you know, with yourself and with the team reflect, I think that courage is kind of like a circle that comes back yeah. to, okay, so what are we going to do next time? What's interesting though, from a remote standpoint is we do have a lot more time to reflect. The question is whether you do it. Do you have the courage to do it? Or do I go, you know, do I finish my meeting at 9.59 and go to my next meeting at 10? And then we go again and again and again. Oh, so, so true. Really great stuff, Elena. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Thank you to our listeners. Please share this podcast with your friends, your colleagues, your family, your pets. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>